This morning we're going to look at a little story found in 2 Kings chapter 4. Chapter 4 has four stories about the prophet Elisha. Uh, One of those we know well, this one probably not so well. Let's be standing please as we hear this, the word of God. A man came from Baal Shalashah. That makes you smile to say that, doesn't it? Let's do it again. A man came from Baal Shalashah. Bringing the man of God, that's Elisha, 20 loaves of barley bread baked from the first ripe grain, along with some heads of new grain. Give it to the people to eat, Elisha said. How can I set this before a hundred men, his servant asked. But Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says, they will eat and have some left over. Then he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. And may God bless the reading of his word. Well, those of you who were here last Sunday and now here again today may get whiplash, because last Sunday we talked about probably the most familiar passage in all of Scripture, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then this week, we jump all the way to 2 Kings chapter 4 and read this little story that I would assume the majority of us in this room didn't even know this story was in the Bible. And yet, it kind of sounds vaguely familiar, doesn't it? It sounds a lot like another story that we do know very well. Well, let's give some context to this particular story. I want to give two different contexts. One is literary context. It's found, as we said, 2 Kings chapter 4. There are four stories here about Elisha helping people. And as we read these stories, more than just even this story, we begin to kind of hear some echoes about another person that we know pretty well, a man named Jesus. Uh, it's interesting to me that that in the Bible and in our own minds, a lot of times we identify the prophet Elijah, who came before Elisha, we identify Elijah with John the Baptist, and for good reason. And both of these guys were kind of solitary, lone wolf guys out in the wilderness, challenging people, telling people to repent. And then we move on to Elisha and to Jesus And we begin to see a lot of overlaps here, too. And one in particular is that both Elisha and Jesus lived in community. People were always around them. And people were always in their hearts. We'll pick that thread up again in just a moment. The other context is the Zitzenleben, the situation in life that's going on wherever this story happens. If we back up and read the story right before it, we know that these stories happen during a time of famine. There's just not much around. And and if you back up and look again at what's going on at this particular time, there's a lot of wars happening between Syria and Israel. And war back then, just like today, it, it just, have you seen some pictures of, of, of Syria today, some of the cities and how they've just been bombed out and people can't even live in them anymore? And, and that kind of constant warfare causes 
hard times, and particularly famine. There just wasn't enough to eat. It could be that it was the wars that were causing that, or it could be just this was another one of those times when it just wasn't raining. Now, that we can relate to, can't we? Uh, we, we are constantly here out in West Texas, especially over these last few years. It just seems like the drought will never really break or let up. However, the difference is that for us, drought is an inconvenience. It's a matter of expense. It costs more to do things, but we feel like that some way or another we'll be able to continue living. However, for those folks, drought equaled death that there was just no way to cope with the fact that it wasn't raining and there was nothing to eat. So in that context, here comes this guy. We don't know his name. Just know that he's from this little town of, do I get to say it one more time? Baal Shalashah, which basically means Baal, who is, you know who he is, multiplies, which is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because in the story, it's not Baal that does the multiplication. But anyway, that's, if you want to know the etymology of the word, Baal Shalashah. I'll see if I can say it one more time. I'll work it in somewhere along the way. Anyway, this guy shows up, and he brings to Elisha a bag of goodies. And it says that it's 20 loaves of barley bread. Well, now, loaves of barley bread, that that kind of is a misnomer for us because, after all, you know, it's not really a loaf of bread like Mrs. Baird's. You know, it's not a big It's more like what we just passed around, those smaller loaves of bread. So maybe we ought to think of it as being he is bringing 20 biscuits to Elisha, along with our text that kind of struggles with this, it, 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 it's, this word only occurs one time in all of the Bible, which is called a hapax legomenon. We're just getting to use all kinds of phrases, aren't we? But anyway, we don't really know how to translate that. Some say, well, it, it was a few heads of grain he brought, or maybe some pieces of fruit. But anyway, it's a small bag, because it's, it's a care bag for one guy, Elisha. Interesting thing is that really this guy was supposed to bring the first fruits to the priest. But the priests weren't doing a very good job at that time. They were pretty corrupt. This is the time of Ahab and all that kind of stuff going on. And so he brings his offering of first fruits to a man that he really respects as a man of God, Elisha. He gives them to him, and Elisha says, well, we need to share this with everybody. He tells his servant, go and give it to the people. Well, the servant looks out the door and says, you know, there's 100 people out there. What's this little bag of goodies going to do for 100 people? And Elisha says, the Lord has said that if I will share this and give it to the people, everybody will have something to eat, and there will be some even left over. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Can't quite place it, but there's another story somewhere. If any of you know it, come after and tell me what that other story is, okay? Barley loaves passed out, and there's not only enough to eat for a big crowd, but there's some that's left over. Now, what do we want to do with this story, and why are we bringing it up? We're bringing it up because this story is more than just a miracle story. It's more than just one of those stories in the Bible that tells us God does wonderful things for people through his servants like Elisha. Because if we allow this story to kind of resonate and look at it, 
this story really does begin to tell us and catalog for us the qualities that define what community is all about. I already mentioned that Elisha lived in community. All four of these stories are about him interacting with people. And, and we read, read when we read about Elisha, we find out that he had a school of prophets that followed him around all the time and he trained them. And they all lived in this big encampment together. So Elisha is concerned about community. And in this little bitty story, we have some insights into what comprises community and what causes community. What causes a group of individuals to suddenly be a community of God? So what we're going to do is look at those very briefly here. The qualities of community that are listed here are stewardship. We'll talk about that. You know, stewardship, you think we only talk about at the end of January, the first of February, when we're wanting you to give more money, all right? Well, it's more than that. Stewardship doesn't just fund things. Stewardship creates community. Another thing, hospitality. That's an easier one, isn't it, to see how it's hospitality that allows community to develop. And one more that may surprise you, we want to spend a little bit of time with it, is the expectation of abundance. Just like Elisha expected that stuff to go around and feed everybody because God had said it would, that the expectation of abundance helps create community. Well, let's unpack these very quickly. Stewardship. How does stewardship and what is stewardship? Notice that stewardship is bringing the first fruits, isn't it? That it is, is bringing the very best, taking it off the top. I think of Trey and Michael's uh, little puppet show they did about where Trey was wanting to give away some old cutoffs from the 1970s to Rust Street. And good for you, Michael, for calling his hand on that. You know, that, that's not what you, you know, who wants what you don't want? I mean, if it's something that, that, that is no good anymore and just doesn't work anymore, well, who, who needs that? But rather, stewardship is taking some of the best that we have and giving it away. And that's what this man is doing. He is taking the first fruits. He, he made these, this bread from the very first grain that he picked, and he took some fruit or whatever else that was. We don't know how to translate it. And that was the very first, and he put it in the bag, and he took it. You know, that first fruit is the best. Uh, I know when I garden, I just can't wait to pick the first black-eyed peas. I just can't wait to pick that first squash, you know, because you've been having to eat what was either left over from last year or canned or put up or, or what they, you have to go buy at H-E-B, you know, and, and it just doesn't taste the same and just can't wait for that first. And to delay that and say, okay, here's the best, here's what's really going to be wonderful, and I'm going to give that portion away. Another thing about stewardship is that it is given in faith, and first fruits are given in faith, because you're trusting that if you give away what you have in hand, that God is going to provide more. Uh, when I say that, I, the only example I have is a negative example, but I think it's still fun. I, I might have told you the story before. When we moved over into Santa Rita a while back, I had a garden spot. For the first time in years, I could actually grow a garden behind the house. And so I planted pinto beans. I love green pinto beans. If you have grown up in West Texas, you've got to have a taste for green pinto beans. And so I, I planted them, and they came up. Oh, they were so pretty and green. And they just bloomed and bloomed and bloomed, and I'd go out there every 
every day and look at those pretty light blooms and just couldn't wait till they turned into beans. Well, one day, my grandson, who was about two at the time, went out there with me and I was showing him the garden, you know, teaching him how food grows, you know, just doing all these wonderful things that a wonderful grandfather does with his child and showing him all these things. And, and I was telling him that these little white blooms are going to turn into beans, which he looked at me rather skeptically, you know, like, yeah, sure. And so we're digging around lo and behold, there was a bean hanging off the plant. And I, he, he was just enthralled. Wow. You know, you mean it really happens that these white blossoms turn into beans? Yep. There it is. There's the proof. Well, he wanted it. Well, that was my first bean, but you know, it was my grandkid and I, all these blossoms and everything, you know, I was going to have a lot more, wasn't I? So I said, well, sure. So he pulled it off and carried it around the rest of the day. I want you to know that was my entire bean crop. <laughs> I don't know what happened, but I did not make one more bean. You know, it takes faith to give away what you got in hand, doesn't it? And yet, that's what the Bible teaches us is what real stewardship is, is that we have faith that there will be more, that there will be enough for everyone. And we'll talk about that in just a moment, too, if Tommy will hurry along. It's also given out of Thanksgiving. You know, there are many motives to give. And there's passages that we can quote in the Bible that say, if, you're gonna, if you give, God will give more to you. And, and we, we trust that. We trust that he will provide. But there's a slight difference there, isn't it? This is not an investment program. This isn't where, okay, if I let go of this, then God's going to give me even more and I'll have more for me. No, no, no. Giving that's true stewardship that creates community is giving that is given out of thanksgiving. We give because God has given to us. Because we have been called to be people who are like God, who are like Christ. Do you know what that means, what, what, what we say, like Christ? We call that Christian, don't we? That, that little Christ. That, that, that's what we're called to be. And because God gives, then we give. And because we're doing this out of thanksgiving and we're just imitating him. And that's our motivation to give. We love because we've been loved. It's a decision that we make. All right? So this is what stewardship is. Giving off the top. Giving with faith that God will take care of us. And giving out of a sense of thanksgiving. Hospitality. What is hospitality? Well, hospitality simply is the act of caring for one another. And this is a decision that we have to make. This is a decision that doesn't come naturally. But you know what? It is the very life force that creates community. There will be no community unless some of us decide that we're going to care about people that we don't even know about or that previously we've thought little about or that we really haven't even cared for. It's a decision. We love because, you know, Jesus said that you go out and love people. And you say, well, how can you command people to, to have these feelings? Well, he's not talking about feelings. He's just talking about go out and care for others and to be concerned about them. This is what creates community. You know, there, there are people over, well, let's, we'll get to that in just a moment, okay? <laughs> Expectation of abundance, all right? What does that mean? Well, we give expecting that it will be experienced by all. We give expecting that if we can give something, then everybody will have something and that we will have enough. This is opposed to a fear of having less for self. So many times I hold on to something because I think I'm not going to have enough. And the only way that we can create community is if we have enough faith that we want everybody to have something. All right? That, that it's going to be okay. 
that it's not fair for someone to have nothing and for me to have too much, and that I'm willing to let go of some that I have, trusting that there will be enough then for everyone. You know, this principle is, is given to us by Elisha whenever he tells the servant, God will take care of it. It'll be okay. There will be enough left over. There, there will be enough that ev- will even be some left over. That is an expectation of community to have that kind of concern. All right. Now we can talk about the reality. You've been sitting through about a 15-minute commercial up to this point because we've been really talking about what's going to happen this afternoon over our Rust Street Ministries. Now, this isn't the only place that community can happen. Uh, It may not be even the best place for you for it to happen, but it is a place where this is what we're expecting to happen. We're having this neighborhood party over here. That is the only clip art I could find of a neighborhood party, and it's so bad I wanted to use it. For one thing, there are no trees at Rust Street. If you come, you expect asphalt, concrete, and dirt, all right? And bring you some lawn chairs and, and sit out there, and that's what it's going to be. There's also going to be no balloons. We wanted to have balloons, but there's a helium shortage. Are you all aware of that? You can't really get helium-filled balloons anymore. So and maybe it may, that may be more of a permanent thing than, than a temporary thing. But anyway, uh, it's not going to look like that. But what's going to happen is, is that some folks are going to bring their best. We're going to take something off the top with the faith that we'll still be okay. And we're going to go and we're going to begin to get to know some other people that we don't know. Because we're going to make the decision that we want to have community with these people. You know, there are a lot of stereotypes that we live by and people all over this community live by. You know, right off the hand, if you drive through that Rust Street neighborhood... I don't want to attribute bad things, but I think that some stereotypes will pop into your head about what the people are like that live in those houses around there. But you know what? If they come and drive around your neighborhood, they're thinking some things about you as well. One problem we have is inviting people to this church building and some of the people getting them into the door, not because of that, that it's not good enough, because it's too fancy. Ah, some people have tried that, haven't you? And, and they, they say, you know, those people don't care. All they care about is, is feeling good about themselves. And if there's a problem in our part of town, they just throw some money over there and that's it. We don't want to do that. We want to get to know people as people, as community, to sit and to listen and not only to change our minds about how things are, but maybe change some of theirs as well as they think about us too. This will come about whenever we're willing to give, give of our time, give of our things. And when we make the decision that it's important enough to have community that we want to do this, and whenever we expect God to bless our efforts and spread them around, and there will be things taken up, not just we'll have some sausage left over or some chips, but we're going to have a lot of love flowing And there'll be a lot of leftover love to pick up and take home with us. Now, if we do all this, we're going to get some rewards. Uh, That seems to be going against everything I've been saying. We're not doing it to get a reward, but we're going to get some rewards. Let me show you what the rewards are. Number one, that community is its own reward. Making some new friends 
That's reward in and of itself. Getting to know someone we've never met before, that's a reward in and of itself. Forging a bond throughout this community of San Angelo, that's a reward in and of itself. Another reward is the joy of seeing God's will done on earth as it is in heaven. That sounds familiar too, doesn't it? You know, what does that mean? Well, we pray that. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet God's will is, is that we take care of one another, we come to know each other, and that we love each other, and that we live in community. So it's going to be a great reward to see that not only are we praying about that, but we're actually trying to make it happen. And there it is. Another reward is to be remembered. I don't know where Baal Shalashai is. (laughs) And we don't know the man from Baal Shalashah. But I never would have heard of Baal Shalashah <laughs> if the man from Baal Shalashah hadn't brought this gift. And he's remembered. Let me give you a verse out of Hebrews chapter 6. God is not unjust. God is not unfair. He will remember your work and the love that you show whenever you serve the saints. If you want to be remembered by God, he's looking for people who care and who serve and who love. And there's one more promise he puts out here. He says, And we want each of you to show the same diligence so as that you will realize the full assurance of hope to the very end. I want to tell you something that you may not have made a connection with. I don't know that I'd really connected these things before I looked at these passages and thought about this for a while. But if you want to get up tomorrow with a purpose in life, if you want to live your life always with hope that something better is coming, one of the keys to that is doing the will of God. Whenever we reach out and decide that we're going to love as we've been loved and give as we have received, and that we are going to be a part of God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven, then the great reward is that we have hope. And there's a reason to get up. And there's a reason to keep going. We come today to offer what we have to God. The sacrifice that God wants most of all is ourselves and our lives. We give ourselves to Him, and then He enables us to then pass on His gifts to other people. This is his invitation. It's always open to all of us. Let's stand as we sing.